we want to read his word. We worship him that way as well when we read his word and <clears throat> invite it to search our hearts and our minds to inform us, teach us, and help us. Our Old Testament text this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 through 23. This is a sad, sad story in many ways. It's about King Saul, and uh, he's deceived. He's disobeyed, done what he should not do. Well, actually, he's not done what he should do, but he says he's done it, and uh, he thinks it's all right. And Samuel has the task of telling him, no, that's not right. You're, you're deceived. And then uh, there's a good stuff in here that talks to us about Rebellion, what that's really like. So listen here to God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? He was supposed to have destroyed all those. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait. And let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but had rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then, Samuel said to Saul, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Amen. Our gospel lesson is from gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 25, the first 13 verses. This is a comparatively familiar passage. It's about the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. You may know it, but we'll hear it again. So listen here to God's word. Jesus said, then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, 
but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Amen. Then our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 3, the first six verses. It's the letter to the church in Sardis. Listen here to God's word. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis, a few names in Sardis, who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Almighty God, we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the way you work in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for confronting our sin. Thank you, Lord God, for your great mercy and your grace toward us. Hallelujah. We give thanks. We ask now, Lord God, that you would bless this preaching of your word to us. That, Lord, we would be fed, we'd be built up, and the work that you're doing in us that what you're cutting away, that's what you're putting within, that, Lord, you would shape and mold us. For we believe that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which you prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. So continue your workmanship in our lives through this message. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's the Lord of all. Amen. <clears throat> receives a harsh message from Jesus. There is no commendation in it. Usually in the letters that Jesus sends to the seven churches, there's a, there's a commendation in almost all of them. 
Sardis, there's not. There's no commendation at all. In fact, Jesus says that this congregation at Sardis is a very deceptive congregation. That is, the label they bear does not match the reality of what's in the package. The label they bear says healthy, alive, vital, living, all those things. But Jesus says, you are dead. That's a devastating message to receive. Can you feel something of what that would be like to have Jesus say that to you, to your church? So Jesus' analysis of the problem is this. He says, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain. So what does that mean, strengthen the things that remain? You know, I do tours out to Gettysburg. I'll be doing one this week, the Lord willing, right? There's a house out there that sits on the corner of the Wheatfield Road and, and the Amherstburg Pike. And all it has, well, the house doesn't really sit there, but there's a little sign that says, the Wentz House. Now, that's not because Carson Wentz ever lived there. Has the same last name. But it, the Wentz House, and all that there is there is a foundation. That's all. The superstructure, that's all gone. But I suppose if someone wanted to build a house there, there is the foundation whereby they could. And so when Jesus says to the church at Sardis, strengthen what remains, I think he's talking about foundational issues. Okay? Because the superstructure can be, be gone. And it's washed away or done whatever. It's, it's been blasted. But there are foundational things that are there. Strengthen them. Build on them, is what he says. Because the foundation can be attacked and removed as well. Perhaps. Now, I'd like to give an example of how this might happen. How this, this wearing away of... Uh, of things, so you're just down to the foundation, how that might happen. The example I'm going to use is uh, the American Constitution Society. Uh, isn't that a great name? The American Constitution Society. Surely they are a venerable and trustworthy organization. Uh, actually, they're a progressive organization, they're hostile to the Christian faith. They think the Christian faith is inimical to uh, what uh, life should be like in these, this country where we live. At a 2010 meeting for hotshots and educated people and folks like that, uh, they had a big dinner and they gave out copies of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Gettysburg Address. Now here's the one part of what the Gettysburg Address that they, they published that night. Can you put it up there? Is it up there yet? It's not up there yet. There it is. Uh, now, let me read it to you. You can read it along. This is Abraham Lincoln on November 19, 1863, after the Battle of Gettysburg. That we here highly resolve these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. 
Sounds good, right? You okay with that? Anyone disagree with that? You do. Rock, why do you disagree? Excuse me? Why is it not exactly the same thing? Rock says it's not the same thing, but he says he's not sure why. Well, he's right. Uh, A part of what I want to say here is that, you know, uh, there are five copies of the Gettysburg Address. Uh, Plus, we have three newspaper transcriptions of it. They had people there who, that was their job reports, they took down in shorthand and then telegraphed to the, uh, to the, uh, their newspapers, here's what Lincoln said, or whoever was speaking there, they would do that. Uh, And of the five copies we have, two of them are like this, they're the least authoritative. There are three that are another way, just like the three that we have from the reporters who were there, or what they said. Uh, So put up the next slide, if you would, Herb. Here's what it should say. That we hear, highly resolved, these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. So it was just an air of omission, right? They didn't include the under God. Now, I'm of the opinion that Lincoln meant to include that. You know, that's why we have uh, one nation under God in our uh, Pledge of Allegiance. That's why it's on our coins, our money. It comes back from there. And Lincoln was not, uh, or for a long course of his life, was not an Orthodox Christian at all. We don't know how it was that he died, but he was, God was dealing with him. He was working in his heart. And he wanted and deliberately had under God to describe our nation. He had seen that. Read his, his uh, second inaugural address, you'll see that, how God's working in his life. Now, how is it that we're just left with sort of people nibble away at things? It's by folks who do something like this, who put up and say, this is what the Gettysburg Address is, but they don't tell you what they left out, that under God. Uh, you can take that down if you like, Herb, that's all right now. You know, the United States has a great name, but the United States is increasingly dead to God. Little foxes get in and snitch and snatch away our life. That's what happens. Uh, same sort of thing happened at Sardis, and it still does in society and in churches. They all have labels that make you think this is right, this is true, this is good, but inside something essential is compromised or missing or something's added. Uh, They have the labels but not the reality. Now, think of how Jesus reveals himself to the church in Sardis. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, the seven spirits of God does not mean that no, there are seven different Holy Spirits. When it says the seven spirits of God, it means the fullness, the totality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
the fullness and the manifold ways in which the Holy Spirit works, they're all under the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop and think of it this way. I try and find an analogy that would be helpful for, for us. There are breezes that blow. Some are gentle breezes. We think of Elijah on the mount seeking God. And the Lord was not in all these things, but the Lord was in a gentle breeze. Okay? Sometimes, and the Lord spoke to Elijah in that gentle breeze. Sometimes, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is in a howling hurricane. Think of Jonah. No gentle breeze spoke to him. It was a howling hurricane. God said, I know where you are, and here's what you need to do, and all that. Sometimes, it's just a briskly blowing wind. In other words, there's a manifold number of ways, many ways, in which the wind can blow. There's manifold ways in which the Holy Spirit works and manifests Himself and does His holy thing among us. And Jesus is telling the church at Sardis, all those come from me. It's Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, who, who is it that did all these things? It's the Lord Jesus who poured out abroad all these things. The Holy Spirit has done this. Jesus does send the Holy Spirit. We should look to Him for that. We should look to Him to send the Holy Spirit in our midst, in our lives, in what's going on. Say, Lord, we need that. Now, He had not only the seven spirits, but He had seven stars. And those stars, we know from chapter 1, are the angels of the church. They're the leadership of the church. They're the, uh, and when it says the seven stars, it means all the churches that receive letters here. But those seven churches also speak of all the church. There's only one church. Ultimately, there's only one body of Christ. All kinds of different manifestations, but there's only one church. It says, all those are under me. The church and her leadership are held by him. He will protect and keep them. It says, you need to know that. People at Sardis, because I have a hard message for you. It's a difficult message, but you need to know that it may be a howling hurricane. It, it may be a, a harsh message, but it's a good message. And so I'm going to suggest that foundationally there are two dimensions to the Christian life and a church life that are foundational that we need to pay attention to here. Uh, number one is doctrinal. You must believe something. Right? You must believe something. You must state it out. Depending upon when that happens in your life, the thief on the cross was not really very well advanced in his doctrine. But he knew enough to say, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Right? He knew enough to say that. That was his belief. You're a king. You're coming to the kingdom. I believe that. Receive me. Remember me then. That was fine. The Apostle Paul, different story. There's a lot of stuff he had to get rid of. And he had to grow. But all of us must believe something. 
Saul, the king, had all the doctrinal points down as far as how God is and all that and what God had spoken to him and those things, the king Saul that we read about this morning. But he wanted to redefine some of those terms. He wanted to redefine what they meant. And he did do that. So that when Samuel comes to him and Samuel rebukes him, he says what? I did do the Lord's will. Big fat lie. He did the Lord's will according to his own redefinition of it, but he did not do the Lord's will. So that's one area. We have to know what we believe. We have to have our beliefs in order. They need to be right. They need to be where they should be. And that's an ongoing process. You don't like, you know, I always thought there'd come some point in time when I would know it all. Now, early on, I acted like I know it all. Hush, Ruthie. <laughs> My kids thought I acted like I know it all. Uh, but, you know, you realize you don't know it all. There's lots of stuff you don't know, but there are some things you do know. You must stand on those. We'll get to that. I think. Uh, so that, the doctrinal part of life. There's also a practical or spirit-empowered element of life, both church life and Christian life. The virgins show us this in Matthew 25. That's why Jesus tells this parable. It's a parable. And Jesus is trying to convince us of something, trying to show his disciples something. He, he says, it's foolish to trust in yourself to think that at any point in time, you have sufficient resources for what it requires of you. What will be required of you? He says, it's foolish to think that. You need always to take oil with you. That is, the, the oil is the Holy Spirit. You always need to be spirit-empowered. You always need to have that. You don't think, well, I don't need the, the spirit today. Uh, you know, when, when, when something happens, I'll get up and I'll get, I'll get all worked up and jacked up and we'll, we'll do okay. And he says, the foolish virgins were like that. Because the Lord came at a time they did not think, the, the, the groom did. And they had to go off and they had to go get some oil. And by the time they came back, it was too late. So we must trust in and look for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, Jesus tells the church at Sardis how they should respond. He says, repent and strengthen what remains, that is the foundations. Did you notice that in every one of these letters, Jesus will tell the church to repent? You say, I repented back when I received Christ. Well, that's hallelujah, that's right. But there's ongoing need for repentance, for transformation, for the work that God's doing in our lives as he shapes and molds us, molds us and makes us his own display of his goodness and glory. So, uh, he says, repent and strengthen what remains. Now, doctrinally, like we said there's two areas. There's doctrine, and there's sort of practical, spirit-empowered living. Doctrinally, we must be articulate in foundational matters. Number one, I only have three things here. Uh, you need to be Trinitarian. That is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Our songs this morning reflect that. The ones we sang reflect. That's, there's only one God, three persons, yet one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Believe this. Teach it. Share it. Don't let it be denied. If they deny the Trinity, they want to work away at that. That's the little foxes. Or it's a big growling bear, could be too. Just bold and say there's no, who can believe in the Trinity? That's a blah, blah. No, God has revealed himself in his word as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we need to hang on to that, believe that. Number two, we need to accept the inspiration and uh, infallibility and inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible is always under attack from all over, from all different sides. We need to take the Bible, believe it, and apply it. Because there are folks who are always snipping away at it. Just like we saw the stuff here with the American Constitution Society, same thing happens in Christian circles. People snip away. And we, oh, well, I forgot about, oh, about this. The big issues biblically, male and female roles. God made us male and female. He made us differently. Adam, he made from the dust of the ground. Eve, he made from Adam's rib. Made differently. Men and women are different. They're not interchangeable. We need to know that. The Bible teaches that. Sexuality. Now, I'm raising these things because these are the the hot-button issues in our society and in the church today, okay? These are doctrinal issues that we need to speak to. The Trinity and the Bible, uh, sexuality. Is it all right? I mean, most young people think that it's all right to be engaged in sexual intercourse and be living together before they get married. It's just across our land. It's just that's the way it is. May I say that's wrong. And we need to simply say that. I've been in places where church leaders have taught that it could be that, you know, what you really need to do to a married couple or married person, what you really need to do is have an affair. That'll inject some, some life back into your marriage. Well, balderdash. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing you need. But there are people, Bible people, they, they'll say that. Homosexuality. That's really getting snipped at all around. And, uh, you know, we're, we're glad that God redeems all of us. But he doesn't leave us like he found us. Hallelujah. And God clearly demonstrates in the scriptures that homosexual behavior is wrong. We need to stand on that. We can't compromise. If you compromise with that, you're sort of doing what the American Constitution Society did. Well, hold on there. Now, what you can do, what you'll find, I'm reading one of those books right now. You'll find books written by biblical guys with big degrees and who knows what kind of ministries who'll edge it all around and make it so that, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really mean that homosexual behavior is bad. It's really acceptable in this circumstance and this circumstance and this circumstance. Not true. Just so you know. Not true. Watch out. And transgender issues. I mean, five years ago, I would never have dreamt I needed to speak about that here. 
But people think that, again, this goes back to male and female roles, but people think that somehow uh, sexual identity can be sort of going back. No, not true. Don't believe it. And that's snipping away until you have the, the sign that says, yes, we're this. But Jesus will say, no, you're not. You're, you're wrong. Now, there's a place in but what these guys are doing, by the way, they want to redefine, just like Saul, want to redefine what obedience to God meant. They want to redefine. So, Herb, there's a, there's a verse from 2 Timothy 3, 5 that uh, tells us about this. Holding to a form of godliness. So, they're not out there in the, in, 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 uh, outside the church. They're, not, they're, 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 they're within the church, the broad church. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, they deny the power of God to enforce what he says, to, to help people live that. It says, avoid such men as these. May I say that's good counsel? Avoid such men as those. If that's what they're doing, that's what they're saying, don't listen to them. Don't go there. Okay, Herbie, take that down. The third thing in terms of doctrine, I've said Trinitarian, biblical, is creation. God created the world. There was nothing at all until God said, let there be, and there was. We need to understand that. Again, that's under great assault all around the globe. God created the world. It is firmly established. It will not be moved or changed. We must stand on that. And uh, it's late, so I have to move on along. We could talk about that. We've done much with that. But stand for creation, that God created, God rules. How about spirit-empowered living? Always remember that we are dependent creatures. I've taught you many, over many years, what's the main way in which we're reminded that we're dependent creatures? What do we do all the time that reminds us we're dependent creatures? We breathe, right? Oh, try to stop breathing. You're absolutely dependent on stuff outside of you to keep you going. Try not eating for a while. Try not drinking for a while. You're absolutely dependent upon things outside you to come in and give you life. And to lubricate your throat. <clears throat> All those are good pictures that God has given us to remind us that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves, right? We are prone to wonder. And our wonder is where we get all sort of boastful, I can do this and I can do that and I can do all these things, right? God just touches a little artery in your heart or leg or somewhere and all of a sudden you can't do hard anything at all. Or all of a sudden a bone breaks or all of a sudden this no, we're, we're dependent upon Him. The same thing's true spiritually. Practice spirituality in your life and in your home. Now, I have three things I want you to do. I'll go quickly here. Worship. You must do this. Certainly here, not just here, in your own life and in your family, regularly, daily. Worship. Sing. Give thanks to God. Call on Him. Number two is pray. Don't just think, you know what I do? I think about praying and think I've prayed. 
Have you ever done that? Oh, well, I've got to do, 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 pray. I should do it. But I never get around to it. Have you been like it? You have been, I know, despite your pious look. I can tell it. So don't just think about praying. Pray. I'm not saying pray for hours, but just pray. It can be for two minutes. It can be for five minutes. It can be for an hour. Doesn't matter. But pray. Seek God. It's the most impractical thing you can do. Well, I'm praying to someone I can't see, someone who, you know, what's going to be the effect of this? I should be out doing something. Let's get it done. Let's hammer a nail. Let's saw a log. Pray. Number three, obey. So we want to worship, pray, and obey. Seek to have your words and deeds be godly. Seek to walk in God's ways. Don't you want to do that? Teach me your ways, O Lord. Show me your paths. I want to follow them. Let that be the cry of your heart. I want to do. I want to live. I want to be what you want me to be. So obey what he shows you. Now, there's one other thing I have to address. <clears throat> you know, these letters, we should really <clears throat> have a, like a three-hour service and just do each letter for a three-hour service, right? You don't have time. What about this being erased from the book of life? That's a big danger here, right? It says, it says uh, he overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I want to ask you this. Is that a threat or a promise? That's the question. Does Jesus utter that as a threat, or does he utter that as a promise? Now, listen to the virgins, what he said to them. Herb, you got the, the virgin one there? Matthew 7, 22, and nope, the one before that. Matthew 25. There you go, thank you. Uh, later that night, or later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But Jesus answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. You recognize that language? I do not know you. Now show the next one from, from Matthew 7, from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you see that in both those instances, the judgment is, I never knew you. I do not know you. Okay, you take that down. Uh, and I, I think that, that what we need to see <clears throat> is that here in the letter to the church at Sardis, this is a promise to those who are overcomers. This is a promise for those who are living for God in a very hostile environment. Be overcomers. Don't compromise. Don't get along with, to, to get along with the society where you live uh, or wh wherever it may be. Be an overcomer. And trust me, I'll be with you. I'll receive you. I'll make sure your, your name's in the book of life and come on through. I'm not going to erase it from there. Don't worry. Come on through. I believe it's a promise. Now, here's some reality. Here's a text we'll have to talk about in a few months from Revelation 17. I think it's Revelation 17. Revelation 13. <clears throat> All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's, this is the, the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. All right? So you're talking about everyone else 
is worshiping this stuff. They're, they're walking one way, and you're going to walk another way. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So, so as, do you hear that? Jesus says he'll protect and keep you. And he says, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. You persevere in the midst of all this opposition. You know that God has a promise for you. Your name will be there in the book of life. It's been there since the foundation of the world. He'll bring you through. We think because our name's in the book of the foundation of the book of life from the foundation of the world that we can just sort of sit back and coast along on a luxury cruise. Not true. He has work for us. He has things to work into us and work out of us. And so Jesus says to the church at Sardis, you can take that down. He says, listen, repent, strengthen the things that remain, be on the alert. A lot of little foxes out there, a lot of big lions out there, a lot of big bad things out there. Be on the alert, strengthen your foundations, build on that, and rejoice and give thanks to God that He knows where you are, has you in the hollow of His hand. Amen.